You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Caroline Thompson. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. So tell a little bit about the genesis of Edward Scissorhands and what it's like to collaborate with Tim Burton. And there was an important film, first film for you, and for I think it's early film for Johnny Depp. And so many people were coming up together. Well, I had written a novel that a director wanted to make into a film. And it was sort of horror novel slash satire about growing up in suburbia. But it was very angry and adolescent in its inception and its execution. But this director wanted to make a film of it. And I was already living in L.A. at that point. And I said to her, well, you can have the option for a dollar if I can write the screenplay with you. She'd also been a writer. And I thought, oh, that's a good way for me to learn about screenwriting. Because I really like to learn by doing rather than by sitting in a lecture hall. <laughs> anyway, so we wrote the film. It never got made. But her agent wanted to represent me. And I didn't have an agent. So I said, okay, he's still my agent 35 years later or more. So that's pretty amazing for our business. And there was another client at the agency. His name was Tim Burton, and he had just made Pee-wee's Big Adventure. He was at some point in the making of Beetlejuice, but not, I don't, it had not come out yet, or I can't really recall. Anyway, so they didn't know what to do with either of us with our sort of off-kilter sensibilities, so they introduced us, and we immediately felt a kinship and became friends, and it was pretty clear from pretty early on that we wanted to work together. We socialized quite a bit and talked on the phone and sort of threw out ideas, and among the ideas we talked about, Tim mentioned to me a drawing he had made in high school of a character who had scissors instead of hands, and I said, stop right there. First of all, this may surprise you, it was the stupidest thing I'd ever heard in my life. So I knew it was brilliant. It was so simple, again, straight, simple, stupid. It was so simple and so stupid and such an obvious metaphor. I knew that it had power beyond belief. And I said, stop, I know exactly what to do with that. And so I basically rewrote my novel in terms of suburban obsession story about the sort of beauty on the surface of suburbia and the sort of unhappiness underneath that surface. I was still more of a prose writer than a screenwriter at that point. So I went home and I wrote sort of a quick 70 pages of the story. And that's its genesis. And Tim loved that. And we set the project up at 20th Century Fox with the proviso, because even then, executives were pretty meddlesome. And there's no way, Edward Scissorhand was a fable, basically. And there's no way that practical questions could have been answered. Like, how does he go to the bathroom? Or blah, blah, blah. blah. The movie would have been hammered into nothing by too much meddling. Something that's very important to me is a moral core. And I don't mean moralistic. I mean a strong sense of right and wrong and good and bad and a defense of the victim, I suppose, is really important to me. I love animals. I think of all my movies as animal stories, really. I think of all the people as animal equivalents. So yeah, that's always been very important to me is standing up for the person who can't stand up for themselves. You can see even through Lester, Welcome to Marwen, to Edward Scissorhands, the kind of outsider, misunderstood, yes. but tormented for the different. Yes, that's exactly right. And I think it's still a mission worth 
aiming at because God knows in this world that we live in right now, there are a lot more defenseless people where we're recognizing that there are a lot more defenseless people than we ever before admitted. Yeah, it's strange because I think a lot about how we can improve our educational models. We learn so many things at school and they're great teachers and they're great compassionate teachers, but it's not teaching empathy, which I guess is done through the arts indirectly, but it's not something we always emphasize over like academic excellence. And I fear it's getting more so. I mean, in my country, it seems that at the university level, the liberal arts are in grave danger. And the point of the liberal arts is not to waste your time. (laughs) The point of the liberal arts is to teach people how to think and how to feel compassion Mm -hmm. and how to put themselves into other people's position. I don't think humans are born empathetic. I have often been feared, loathed. I don't know. I demand manners of people around me. So in my business, the film business, manners are not something that people tend to have very skillful iterations of. And so I've always said, a woman's walking in the room, stand up, men. And the men say, well, that's not very feminist. I said, yeah, it is. We're honoring a woman. Get get, get (laughs) there. Think about somebody besides yourself. Hold that door open. Because the people aren't inclined to think about others. They're inclined only to think of themselves. And particularly now, again, in the U.S., this sense of entitled individualism is appalling and rampant and really frightening to me for the future of our citizenry. Well, it was interesting. On Edward Scissorhands, I did not go to set the first week of production, even though I was invited, because I felt that I mean, Tim's a nervous enough person. I felt like he would feel I was scrutinizing or whatever. And and so I turned up at the set in Tampa, Florida, the second week, and immediately, and I was naive. I didn't know that the screenwriter wasn't supposed to answer the actor's questions. So when Johnny Depp came up to me and said, I am so lost, I do not understand what I'm doing, who this character is, how did, I just don't get it. And I said, Your character is based on my favorite dog I ever had. She was alert and attentive and interested in everyone and everything and curious. And the only thing that kept her from completely participating was the physiology of her vocal tracks. She was there. Mm -hmm. And he said, I get it. And then he turned in this absolutely exquisite, very delicate performance. A Nightmare Before Christmas... The songs were composed before the screenplay, which was very awkward. But in Corpse Bride, the screenplay was devised before the songs. It's a whole other skill, I imagine, writing the book for musicals, writing the lyrics for songs. Do you enjoy those kind of limitations, or do you prefer a more natural spoken word? Well, it's interesting you use the word limitations because one thing I've loved so much about being a screenwriter as opposed to being a novelist mm-hmm. is that a novelist it can be anything. And I found the it could be anything quite overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So when I wrote my first and only novel, I went back to a much older vision. I did it an epistolary novel or rather a diary novel, sort of invoking the Gothic novels of the late 19th century. Dracula was written as a series of letters or diary entries. Now I can't remember, but I've always really loved screenwriting because to me it's like writing sonnet or poetry that has structure because it can't be anything, at least to my mind, it couldn't be anything. It has 
limitations. And I thrive within those boundaries. And now, because film is such a collaborative medium, I don't know what it's like in these kind of script writer's rooms. I don't know if it's as much with film, because I know TV, it's all these writer's rooms. Well, they're starting to do, I mean, this is appalling to me because Mm -hmm. I work alone and pretty much always have. But they're starting to do writer's rooms for feature films, which to me, everything needs a voice. And yes, film is a collaborative medium. But the miracle for me of Edward Scissorhands is that we were all making the same movie. And it had a very unique and whimsical and lyrical and particular tone. Everybody got the tone. And we accomplished what I later, because that was my first film, I later learned it was a miracle that we were all working with the same feelings about what we were after. That's really, really difficult in the film business. To me, it's insurmountable if you start doing writer's rooms because it loses its voice. You know, the film will lose its particularity and that's kind of heartbreaking to me, but everything changes and I feel really blessed to have been in the thick of it when I was because even though... Historically, including my era, writers don't really garner much respect. I, I was able to just stay true to myself. Well, my advice is pretty straightforward. It's if you want to be a movie writer, watch movies. If you want to be a novelist, read novels. If you want to be a television writer, watch TV. And if you want to be a poet, read poetry. I mean, I feel that you need to get the rhythms of the work into your bones and your blood. I remember going to film conferences early on in my career and people's questions, the audience's questions were always like, how do you get an agent? I said, well, how many screenplays have you written? One. I said, well, right. Don't think about the getting of the agent. Mm -hmm. Think about the work, do the work, Mm -hmm. love the work, have it be something that you can't live without doing. Don't dream about celebrity, which is the curse of our culture. Dream about earning the right to have people interested in you. Don't wish you could leap straight to the people interested in you part. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.